My name's Bob Lentz, and I'm here with Front Row Church. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have a Bible today, and turn to John chapter 13, a very familiar passage about God's love for us. We're going to talk this morning about uh, loving others like Jesus loves us. Now, what if I told you that within the next month or so, you could pick any expert in any field, and I could get them to your house to train you for free? Who would you choose? Well, if you wanted to throw a football like a rocket, then you might choose somebody like Patrick Mahomes. Or if you wanted to cook a little bit better, maybe Paula Dean would come to your house. If you're like me, you want to be able to drive a golf ball 300 yards, you got to have Roy McElroy come to your house. Now, that would be awesome. But here's what I'm getting at. We all know that the best way to learn is by having a mentor, having somebody whose uh, example you can follow, somebody who can get up close and personal with you and teach you and train you and show you how to do what they do. Now, if we can watch somebody who knows what they're doing, we've figured out that learning by example really does mean we develop the skill that we desire at a quicker pace and at a better return. This morning, we're going to talk about becoming an expert in relationships. In other words, an expert at loving other people. You know, what I want to be is a pro at loving God and a black belt at loving other people. The best way to do that is to follow an expert's advice and his example. Now, without a doubt, the greatest expert on loving other people who ever lived is Jesus Christ. You know, on the night that he was betrayed, he took his disciples up to a, a room we call the upper room now, and they were going to have their final meal together. And you may or may not remember that at that night. Jesus, of course, was getting himself ready. He knew the cross was looming in his future. And so what he did is he became a servant to all of his buddies, and he knelt down and he washed their feet, even, even the feet of Judas, who was going to betray him. And he said this in, in John 13, he said, I've given you this as an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. And then Jesus realized that this was the moment he was going to be betrayed and he wanted to make sure they understood what was going on. So he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love others. So if we're going to be experts at loving others, we get to learn how Jesus loves us and then transfer that or translate that into loving other people. This kind of love Jesus is talking about is impossible for us to display to others until we've experienced ourselves. I mean, I can't possibly love like Jesus loves until I've experienced that love from Him. It's like mercy or grace or kindness. Those things don't come naturally. You've got to experience those before you're ready to offer them to others. That means we've got to understand and have some sort of personal awareness of God's love for me if I'm going to become an expert at loving you. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at several ways that Jesus loves us, and then we're going to apply those same things to how we should love other people. First thing we'll notice is that loving like Jesus means accepting others. This is a hard one, I got to tell you. You know, during the last couple years of my mom's life, she spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital. 
And one of those trips uh, caused a sore in one of her legs. Because she was diabetic, that sore became what we say a wound, and it just wouldn't heal. Doctors did everything they could think of. They wrapped it. They elevated it. They put medicine on it. They put medicine in it. They called in a specialist. And finally, after months and months and months of treatment, her womb finally healed. Now, that wound reminded me of a type of wound that many of us have experienced sometime in our life. And the, the womb I'm talking about is this abiding womb of rejection. I mean, most of us, sometime in our life, we've been rejected by our friends or people or business associates or something. Somewhere along the line, you've been put down, belittled, and maybe even betrayed. Someone in your past told you, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. You're worthless. You, you couldn't do anything right. You may have heard those words from your parents, maybe a teacher, maybe even some so-called friends put you down and even made fun of you. You may have had a boss sometime in your life, or maybe even a spouse that looks at your value and they don't really think you're worth much. You know, we've all experienced rejection in our life, and we all know how bad that hurts. That's why so many of us spend the majority of our lives trying to avoid rejection, and at the same time, we work really, really hard at being accepted. You know, people will do some crazy things to be accepted, to be part of the crowd, to feel like they belong to the family or to their friendship groups. When you were a kid, you probably did the same game I played. It's the I dare you game. You remember that? Somebody dares you to do something, and if you don't do it, then what? You're chicken or you get rejected from the group. So it's inevitable when you play that I dare you game, you do a lot of crazy things that you would never do without that game, without the desire to be accepted by the crowd. Our culture tells us that if you got to do something extraordinary before you're accepted, then it must be the same with God. It must be the same. That God must want you to do something, maybe even extraordinary, before he accepts you. But the exact opposite is true. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, The Father gives me the people who are mine, and every one of them will come to me, and I will always accept them. You know, the Amplified Version says it like this, I will never, no, never reject any one of them who comes to me. Now, the cool thing about those verses is this. There's not one condition of acceptance in that verse. Jesus never says, I'm going to love you if. I'm going to love you if you're good enough. I'll love you if you got enough. I'll love you if you know enough, if you behave enough. I'll love you if you go to church enough. I'll love you if you don't say bad words anymore. I'll, I'll love you if you read your Bible enough. Jesus loves you and accepts you not because of what you've done or what you're going to do, but because of what he's already done. So I want you to listen to me carefully. There's a great deal of difference between acceptance and approval. You and I become acceptable because of God's grace. It is His unmerited favor that's lavished out on us, and it, it comes from all eternity. But His acceptance of us is not the same as approval of our lifestyles. In fact, you remember the woman at the, at the well, the woman caught in adultery? Jesus accepted her, but then He says, I, I don't condemn you, but neither do I approve you because He said, I want you to go and sin no more. So here's the point. What God does for you and me, he expects us to do for others. There's what it means to love like Jesus. Paul told the church in Rome, he said, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, and then God will be glorified. 
So accepting others means we got to make room for their doubts and their fears and their problems and their temptations, their hurts and their heartaches and all the other things. If you really want to be like Jesus, then you got to be willing to have imperfect people hanging out with you. Because remember, you're one of those imperfect people yourself. But that's how you love like Jesus loves. Second thing, loving like Jesus means that we should be valuing others. You know, if you had to put a price tag on what you're worth, what do you think it'd be? If you broke down your body into its base elements, I've been told, you know, if you, if you could add the oxygen, the carbon, the potassium, the magnesium, and all those other things, if you estimated what your body would be worth, somebody says worth about 50 bucks. Kind of disappointing, isn't it? But if you looked at your body from a, a different perspective, if you looked at it for how much it's worth if you could take your bone marrow and your good kidneys and your heart and your lungs and your eyes and your legs and your hands and all those other things, and you add that estimate together, then that would run in the millions. So your value really depends on whose perspective you're listening to. How much do you think you're worth in God's eyes? I mean, somebody in your life may have called you worthless, but that's certainly not God's estimation. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus was talking to, he was teaching actually, and he said, there's a flock of sparrows. They're, they're worth pennies, and yet God knows them all. So here's the implication. If God values sparrows, then how much more valuable are you since he sent his son to die in your place? You ever thought about what makes certain things valuable? One of the primary ingredients in determining value is who made it. I mean, what's more valuable, Fabergé egg or a plastic Easter egg that you get on an Easter egg hunt? Which would you pay more for, a Lamborghini or a soapbox derby car? I mean, value comes from the creator. The more important the creator, the more valuable the object. You ever seen that T-shirt that says, God doesn't make junk? That means when he created you and me, he gave us eternal value. So if you ever get down on yourself, and if somebody tells you, man, you're worthless, you, 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 you don't belong here, I want you to go back and read Ephesians 2. This is a great verse. Paul writes, he says, for we are God's masterpiece his handiwork, and he has created us anew in Christ so that we can do things he planned for us long ago. You know what excites me most about masterpieces? They're not mass-produced. They're individually crafted. You're valuable not because, only because God created you, but you're valuable because he made you with a specific purpose in mind. You know, value depends on who made it and also on what someone is willing to pay for it. A couple years ago, maybe three or four years ago, the housing market was at an all-time high. It was, it was crazy out there. The value of a house probably went maybe over the last four or five years, doubled or even tripled. You know what made the difference? It was the fact that people were willing to pay the price. Your house didn't change. Your house didn't, you know, magically become better. It's just that there were people out there who were willing to pay a different price. I read about an oil sheik in the Middle East whose daughter was kidnapped. They didn't know who did it, and they didn't even receive a ransom. And so this sheik put an ad in the paper, and he said, we will pay any price for my daughter. See, she was valuable to the king. And why? It's because it was his daughter. Now, I want you to put that into a spiritual perspective for a moment. The Bible says we are children of God. We're chosen by God as his very own possession. 
That means we're valuable to the king of kings. So valuable that he was willing to pay the highest ransom ever offered. In 1 Peter, the Bible says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Now let me ask you a question again. How much are you worth? You can answer that question from now on with a single word. I'm worth the cross. See, the cross proves your value to God. It means He loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. He values you enough to say, I'm willing to exchange my son's life for your life. Wow, it's amazing. You know, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, God's people began to get worried about the possibility that God might forget them. And they said, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten all about us. Isaiah comes back and says, can a mother forget her nursing baby? Can she no longer feel the love of her child? Even if, it, if that were possible, God says, I will never forget you. And the reason is, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. That's an image of the scars Jesus will carry on his hands and his feet for all of eternity. It's as if Jesus is saying to you, every time you wonder if I love you and if you're valuable to me or if I'll ever forget you, just look at my scars. Remember the cross. Now listen, if Jesus values people like you and me, people who often turn their backs on God at a moment's notice, people who doubt God's goodness and people who, who play the game of religion, if God loves and values us, then don't you think we should value those people that God sends our way? You know, instead of turning our backs on people who don't look like us, act like us, talk like us, think like us, Maybe we ought to be stretching our hands out to those very same people because that's valuing people like Jesus loves us. The last way we're going to talk about is loving like Jesus means forgiving others. And this is a tough one. One of the saddest statements I hear is when somebody says, you know, God must be really mad at me. I must have done something that he could never forgive. What a terrible thought. Something in our culture trains us to think that God is just a bigger, more powerful version of us. And if that were true, then he would probably hold some grudges, and there'd be some big grudges. But the cool thing is, is that's not God. He doesn't act that way. He's not mad at you. There's no reason for him to hold grudges against us because all of our sins have been forgiven and paid for at the cross. Isaiah 43, God says, I'm the one who takes care of your sins. I will blot them out. I'll never think of them again. And Paul reminds us, you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's, that's the way we love others like Jesus loves us, through forgiveness. You know, as a believer, we have no other option. We must forgive because we've been forgiven. Forgiveness is one of those really, really important concepts because Jesus made it the cornerstone of the Lord's Prayer. You've, you've all prayed this maybe hundreds, even thousands of times in your life where we say, Lord, forgive us of our sins. How? As we forgive those who sin against us. There's nothing that shortcuts a relationship faster than an unforgiving spirit. If you want relationships that are filled with peace and joy, relationships that satisfy and energize you, you got to learn to practice forgiveness. Now, I bet 
since we've started talking about forgiveness, God may have brought somebody to your mind that you need to forgive, or maybe you need to go and ask for forgiveness. That's not a coincidence. It's God's Spirit speaking to your heart. He wants you to be set free. And the only way that's possible is if you listen to Him and obey His voice. What do you think would happen in your life, in your family's life, maybe in your community, if you started accepting people, valuing people, forgiving people like Jesus does? Would it make a difference in your relationships? Well, of course it would. The question we're asking or willing to, to or are we willing to do is, are we willing to do what Jesus, we see Jesus doing? You know, it's easy to allow these truths to get stuck in our heads and never move from our our heads, to our hearts, to our hands. We can't just say, I'm, I'm going to love, accept, and value people and forgive others. we got to go one step further and actually do it. Imagine the change in you and me if we simply loved others like Jesus loves us. Let's pray and ask Him to give us that power and ability to do that. Father, we're grateful for Your Word, as always. Thankful for the example of Jesus. Would You help us? to love others that you've placed into our life the same fashion that we've been loved by Jesus. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.